My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Um, We're continuing our sermon series, What is the Church? Um, This is a five-week series. We're on week number three, so we're right in the middle, but we're looking at the importance of the church. Why does the church matter? And we're doing that by using five unique metaphors, five weeks, five metaphors, makes sense, for the church, but these are metaphors that are found in the Bible. So far, we've answered the question, what is the church, in these two ways. First, we talked about how the church isn't just a body, but the church is the body, of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And then we talked about how the church isn't just a family, but a church is the family of God, that we are a family together. If you missed either one of those messages, you can find them on our website. And we've actually been able to add our messages to a ton of platform or podcast sites if you want to listen to them. So we're available on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Audible, and Stitcher as well. So depending on how you choose to listen, we're, we're doing our best. And that's where the, the Know Your Role is available in all those, those places as well. So our website or, or pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast. And, and now this week, we're going to answer the question, what is the church like? Or what is the church? We're going to answer that question like this. The church is the bride of Christ. And this, this is a really important metaphor. And actually, as I was writing my sermon, it, was, it became more and more clear to me why this is an important metaphor. The, the idea that, that we are the bride of Christ. Because in lots of ways, it functions really different than the other ones we've talked about. When we talked about being the body of Christ, as we talked about being the family of God, they point more towards us as people. And how do we be the church? What does it mean for us to be the church? Well, to understand how to be the church, we need to understand how to be the body of Christ, how to be the family of God. And there is some of that in this metaphor, that that as the bride of Christ, we have a part to play in that. But what we really see as we talk about the church as the bride of Christ is not nearly as much what we need to be, but how God looks at us. How God relates to us. How God thinks about us. That when we talk about being the bride of Christ, what we have to understand in this is is that this is such a picture of how God thinks about us. How God relates to us. What his love for us looks like. There is some responsibility, and we'll get into that. But really, what we have to take away from this, and we're going to talk a lot about this this morning, is the love of God for his church. What, what it means to be the bride of Christ is to understand that we are loved by Christ. And I think that the best way that we can understand what it means to be the bride of Christ is for us to take some time to talk about what, it, what the Bible has to say about marriage. 
Because that's the metaphor that God, that, that God is using that when we talk about being the bride of Christ, he's talking about a marriage relationship. That's what bride means. And so we need to talk at least a little bit this morning, and we're going to talk a lot bit, about what the Bible has to say about marriage. And that's why I've, I've invited you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Because I think this, this is an important passage for us to understand as believers about marriage and what it means to be married. And I think it's also a good, a good to look at this passage because this is a passage that is easily misunderstood. And it's a passage that's actually very easily used by people as a criticism of our faith. And the place in scripture that people can see this is a place in scripture that people can see as a deterrent for following Jesus. And a place in scripture that's often intentionally overlooked or, or disregarded in, in today's day and age because we don't really like what it says. That as we read through a passage like this, it's not a passage that, that younger generations always necessarily gravitate towards. That, that sometimes when you're performing a wedding, the, the bride and groom may say, if you could avoid Ephesians 5, when you perform our wedding, that would be really helpful. Um, we've got family who, who aren't believers and it would be really confusing for them and we're not quite sure what we think or believe. And So you know, it's, it's a place where, but I think it can be seen as, as patriarchal or, or misogynistic. But I would contend that that's not at all what it is. And that people, when people say that it is, or, or, and how people read, when people read this passage and it causes them to feel like that, it's an incomplete and ununderstood reading of the passage. That, that it, it's, and, and we're going to talk actually tons about this idea on Tuesday night, about how, how to read the Bible and how to understand what the Bible has to say. But I think that, that this is actually something, this, this incomplete, ununderstood un um, reading of this passage, it's something that has happened both inside and outside the church. That I think that, that there are, are places and there are movements and there are times when this passage has been used to justify all kinds of terrible things that take place inside of marriages, both inside the church and outside the church. That this will be a, a verse that is often quoted to women who are in terrible situations as well. You just got to tough it out. But I think that as we understand what it is that scripture says here, that we will discover together this incredible picture of what Jesus is to us and what we are to him. But I think it's the best place to go to understand what it means that Jesus sees it as, as his bride because I think it gives this incredible picture of this relationship. We need to understand what God has to say about what godly treatment of someone's bride looks like. What does God treat his bride like? And we discover that together in this passage. And in Ephesians 5, Paul really gives lots of detail on both layers of this metaphor. The metaphor of the bride and the groom, the husband and wife, but also Jesus and the church. That, that it's not that we just extrapolate out. Paul talks about both sides of this metaphor in this passage. He talks about a bride and a groom, husband and wife. But he also talks about the church as the bride and Jesus as the groom. And so let's, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 together and, and let's have some fun reading scripture. Um, we're going to start in verse 21. And actually, even before we read that, I want to say that most of the problems that people would have in reading and understanding this potentially difficult passage 
um, and what's going to come over the next couple of verses would be very quickly alleviated if people just chose to start in verse 21 rather than verse 22. Is when most people will quote this passage and talk about it in a negative light, nobody starts at verse 21. Everybody starts at verse 22. And so verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As Paul writes about marriage, the first thing that he says isn't what, we're, uh, what we are about to read. No, the first thing that he says regarding marriage is submit to one another. The first thing, the most important thing that we need to know about being married, submit to one another. People tend to miss this part and focus almost entirely on what comes next. But as we go through, just remember, the passage starts with submit to one another. And now, and now this is how people tend to read the next part. This is where most people pick this passage up. That if you were to say Ephesians 5 about marriage, this is where most people would begin. Wives, submit to your husbands, or submit to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. This is where most people tend to stop. As, as they move through this passage, this is where people tend to take what they believe the Bible has to say, the full picture of this marriage relationship. What is the role of a wife? To be submissive, to be subservient, to be junior partners in a marriage. They're to fall in line with their husbands. That their husbands are the boss and they are the employee. That in the pecking order of what it means to be married, you have the husband. And then you have a wife somewhere behind. But the verse doesn't actually end there. This isn't where the verse ends. This is often where people who quote this verse sometimes end, but this is not what the full verse has to say. The, 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 and, and, and the reality is the rest of the verse could not be more critical to our understanding of the first half of the verse. But people inside and outside the church stop there and think this is what the Bible teaches. But, but let's read it together in proper context as we understand what the whole verse is. Wives, submit to yourselves, or submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their own husbands in everything. So in the greater context, what we read is not wives submit to your husbands. The husband is the head of the wife. Boys up, girls down. But Paul brings in some more context that, that brings this into a different light. And, and we're going to see this in the upcoming verses, but it paints this different picture. But the husband is the head of the wife, just like Jesus is the head of the church. So to understand what it means that the husband is the head of the wife, we have to then understand what it means for Jesus to be the head of the church. And what does Jesus being the head of the church mean? Because it doesn't say that, that Jesus is the head of the church the way the husband is the head of the wife. It says that the husband is the head of the wife the way Jesus is the head of the church. So we have to understand what it means for Jesus to be the head of the church. How does Jesus love his bride? That's how we're to love 
our bride if, if you're a husband. So let's let's read verse 25. So this is this is now going to speak to husbands, and this is this is this will give us a picture. Husbands, love your wives. Now again, this is the place where people like to stop because it paints this picture of, of wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. But just like last time, let, let's not stop there. Let, let's keep going a little further into the verses. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So again, Paul brings out these two metaphors together. Husband, wife, Jesus, church. Wives, submit to your husbands just like the church submits to Jesus. And, and husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church. And Paul makes it really clear just exactly which part of Jesus we're supposed to, to express as husbands towards our lives or towards our, our wives. In, in, in the context of marriage. It's not the angry flipping over tables Jesus. He doesn't say, husbands love your wives just as, as Christ loved the church. Remember the time when he went into church and flipped over all the tables because he was mad? That, that's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he was so hard on those Pharisees. That's the Jesus you need to be. You, you got to hold your wife accountable. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What did he do to express his love? Gave himself up for her. This is the part of Jesus that we're to see in the relationship of Jesus to the church and the way we're to see the husband and wife relationship. There's this moment that I want to bring you to outside of our text for this morning. It's in Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. And, and it's really a moment where, where we discover what Jesus has to say about being the head. What Jesus has to say about being in charge. What Jesus has to say about, about being on top. And it, it's this funny, sort of weird, awkward moment where, where the weirdness of people is introduced into all of this. There's this moment in Matthew chapter 20 where, where two of the disciples, James and John, they're brothers. And, and their mom has come to visit. And, and it says in scripture that, that their mom takes Jesus aside. And it seems like maybe the boys were there too. But their mom takes Jesus aside and, and has a, a quiet moment with Jesus. But the mom asks the kind of question that, that sometimes moms, dads too, but in this case it's a mom, can, be, can do when it comes to dealing with their kids. James and John's mom comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, can my boys have a special spot with you? They're good boys. They're, they're, they're good. And, and so maybe when, when everybody's in, in heaven, can my boys just have like a special seat next to you? You know, my, my boy, I've got good kids. I've got good boys. And I want, to see, I want to see them in a good spot. So Jesus, would you, would you, you know, let them sit on your right and your left? When you're up in your throne in heaven, could, could you save those spots for my boys? It would be really sweet if you could do that for me. Now, of course, when the other disciples hear about this, they're, they're upset. 
Oh, you sent your mom to talk to Jesus. Real cool, guys. Wow, your mom went to talk to Jesus for you. Oh, isn't that nice? Oh, mama's boys. And, but they're, they're thinking, hey, now if they get that spot, that's not fair. Scripture will say that they become indignant. That, that they beca This becomes a thing where they're upset because now what if they don't get the spot? Because their mom went and talked to Jesus. And so because of this, Jesus has to bring everybody together for a team meeting. He's got to call, every, he can see there, there's problems, the meeting with mom didn't go well, and, and now everybody's upset. And, and so he brings them together, but he begins to talk to them about this idea of like prominence and importance and being the head. And, and he lets them know about the kingdom of God and how we make ourselves great in it. And I believe this gives us a picture of what it means for Jesus as the head of the church. And through Paul then, what this means for, for husbands as the head of a wife. What it means for the husband to love their wives with the same love that Jesus loved the church with. Verse 25 of Matthew chapter 20 says this. Jesus called them together, called all of his disciples as they're fighting with each other. And said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. I want you to just file that away because we're going to make reference back to this time and time again over the last little bit of our sermon here. This idea that there is a worldly understanding of position and authority. And then what Jesus is about to say. Not so with you. As followers of mine, as part of my kingdom, as, as citizens of, of my world, it's not like that for you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. You are to be different. Greatness, this special place that your mom wanted for you, this special place that you're all fighting over right now, it's not a place of greatness and it's not a place of exaltation inside of my kingdom. But Jesus says to find greatness, to find prominence, to be exalted, to be at the top, to be the head, is to find lowness. It, 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 to, to be first is to be last. To be top is to, to be bottom. But then Jesus also takes this and he turns this on himself. This isn't just something that Jesus is telling them to do, but it's not for him. I mean, he's Jesus because he actually is special. Jesus doesn't say to them, do as I say, don't do as I do. Jesus says, this isn't just for you. This is, this is for me too. Verse 28, um, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says to the disciples, listen, you need to understand this way of thinking because it matters for you. Because this is how I think about things. This is how my kingdom works. To be the greatest, to be special, to be the first, means you actually need to become the last, the least, the fewest, the servant. Even Jesus, will, he will say about himself, I didn't even come to be served. I didn't even come to be exalted. I didn't come to be lifted up. I didn't come to be placed in this place of prominence above everybody else. Even me 
I came to serve. In another place in scripture, in John chapter 15, Jesus will talk about the same kind of thing when he will say this. My commandment is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And there's one really important word in there to help define it for us, what's going on here. He doesn't say, this is my command, love one another because I have loved you. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So the same way that Jesus loved us, the same way that Jesus modeled for us his love, that's how we need to love each other. And then verse 13, he will put it into a real clear picture. Say, love as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for their friends. And just so there's no ambiguity of what Jesus is speaking about, the next couple of verses make it clear over and over again that when he talks about his friends, he's talking about us. That the next couple of verses over and over again will say, I now call you friends. You are my friends. You have become my friends. You are no longer servants. You are my friends. He's the one who laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. So when Paul says, husbands, love your wives just like how Jesus loved the church, what is he asking husbands to do? To serve. Not to be served, to give up their lives. Not to sit on a throne, not to sit at the head, not to sit at the top, not to sit and say, this is my kingdom. As Jesus said, remember, or you remember that Jesus said to his disciples, you know what it means in the world. Jesus will say, you know what it means for, for the Gentiles to have someone to be the leader, to be the head. But Jesus says, we're not supposed to think like that. Our understanding of what the head is is not the same as a Gentile understanding of what the head is. Jesus says in his kingdom, it means something very different. So when Paul said, the husband is the head of the wife, the problem is that comes into this passage that when people struggle with this passage, we do the very thing that Jesus tells us not to do in Matthew chapter 20. We do the very thing that Jesus says, don't do this. Don't think about my kingdom in terms of the kingdom of God. Or don't think about, sorry, my kingdom in terms of the kingdom of this world. Don't equate those two. But when we struggle with this passage, when people will point to this passage and say, look what it does to women, it's with an understanding of, of a world, of a Gentile view of what it means to be the head. It's not a God view of what it means to be the head. Jesus said his kingdom is something very different. The Bible says that, that I am the husband, but Jesus says in my world, in my kingdom... If you're the head, if you're the first, then you must become the least. You must become the last. You must be here to serve, not to be served. The love you need to have is a love that it completely gives up yourself for someone else. This is what being the head means inside the kingdom of God. And this is significant for us today 
Because if we're the bride of Christ, then this is who Christ is for us. That he didn't come to rule over us. He didn't come to lord over us. He didn't come to be a king. At least, he didn't come to fill those roles the way the world would understand that he came to fill those roles. That we see that all throughout the life of Jesus' ministry. People come to make him king. They want to overthrow. They want him to become king. There's one point where it says that the whole crowd wanted to make him king, but the Holy Spirit just allowed him to walk through the crowd. There's this moment after Jesus is dead and resurrected, comes back to life in, in Acts chapter 1 where his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, now is when you're going to overthrow Rome? Is it now? But Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Jesus did not come to be a king. He came to be the king of kings. It's different. It's not the same. He didn't come to rule over us like a king of the world. He came to love us. To love us with the greatest love. He came to give his life for us. We see how Jesus feels about the church when Paul uses this metaphor of the church as the bride of Christ, that it's not just that he loves us, but he loves us with the greatest love ever imaginable. Remember, Jesus says there's no greater love than someone who would lay down their life for a friend, the greatest love possible. As he hung on the cross of Calvary, he gave himself up for us to die for us. Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 5, what, what takes place when he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why did he do that? What was the purpose of Christ giving himself up? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't for him. It wasn't to accomplish something for him. It wasn't to build a kingdom or an empire for himself. It wasn't to make himself acceptable in our eyes. We as a bride, we are not without blemish. We are not radiant. We are stained. We are wrinkled. We, we are not holy. We are not blamed. We are not any of these things. But through Jesus' death on the cross, we become these things. And suddenly, we become an acceptable bride for our king. It was for you and I that, that we might be presented holy and blameless. Without spot or stain or wrinkle. This is what it means for us to be the bride of Christ. This is what it means for us and how we see ourselves in this metaphor. As we understand the bride of being the bride of Christ, the first thing that we need to understand is that it's an incredible picture of Jesus and his love for us. As we understand what it means for, for a husband to love his wife the way that Jesus loved the church, and we look at how did Jesus love the church, it's this incredible picture of giving himself up so that the bride receives all of the things. So, but what about us? What about the other half of the metaphor? 
What about us being the bride? What does that mean for us? That we understand what it means for Jesus to love us, but, but then what is our response? Do we as the bride just, okay, great, Let me, bring it on. I'm, I'm happy to receive everything. But what is the role of, of the wife? Is the wife to just somehow stand, all right, well, you give yourself up for me. Bring it on. What does it mean for us to be a bride? Now, I actually think that the best place that I can think of to illustrate what it means for wives to submit to your husbands, for, for us as the bride of Christ to submit to Christ the way that the church should submit to, to Jesus, wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ, that Christ who has literally given everything for his bride and not for himself, for wholly and completely for the bride. What does submission to that look like? Well, I think to, to show this, there's one more place in Scripture that's a little bit like the last one we looked at. This kind of weird, funny, awkward moment where, like, humanity is used as an illustration to understand something, something about God. It's from John chapter 13. Um, it's the very beginning of what we would know as the Last Supper. The very beginning of, of Jesus' time together with his disciples. He brings them together to, to share a meal with them and to teach and to speak. And if you look in John, the, it's chapters and chapters and chapters long of things that Jesus just talks to his disciples about. And this all takes place right before he was going to be betrayed and killed in the next, in the next few hours. And so Jesus invites the disciples and they come together. They come into this upper room, this room in a house. It's in an upper room. And they begin to share their Passover meal together. But there's this moment in the meal where Jesus, at the beginning of the meal, he gets up and he starts taking off his nice clothes like he was going to do some work. You know, he's got a nice shirt on. He's, got, he's dressed up. It's a, nice, it's a nice dinner. But before the meal starts, before things really get going, he, he takes off sort of his outer layer of clothes. And it says this in verse 4 of John 13. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus begins to wash all of the feet of his disciples. Now, there's all kinds of cultural significance to this. We're not, not going to get into that now. But what I do want to let you know is, is, again, how much Jesus really did lean into this idea of being, not, or, or this idea of being a servant. That it wasn't just talk. That the Son of God didn't just say, I came to, to serve, not to be served, but then just was served the entire time. But he came to serve. And we see this moment where the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, everything we sang about this morning, this wasn't a job for him. This was a job for servants. But Jesus isn't the head of this group the way that the world would understand it. Jesus is the head of this group the way that it's understood inside the kingdom of God. To be the head, you need to be the servant. But so one after another, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. 
one after another after another. I would assume probably at some point he replaced the towel, or you're probably not ecstatic to be the guy at the end of that line. Um, replace the water. But, but he's one after another. And Judas hasn't left yet. Just coincidentally in the story of this. Judas is, so Judas's feet are about to get washed. Some point in this story, Jesus doesn't go, John, James, Bartholomew, Judas, and, and, you know, skip past him and go on to somebody else. But we do discover what happens when Jesus comes to our old friend Peter. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Verse 7, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you, you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Peter ain't going for this. This is too weird. This is too awkward. Jesus is the son of God. Peter has testified to the fact that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. No way is he washing my feet. It just feels wrong. It doesn't feel right. This is not a role that this person should be occupying. But Jesus needs Peter to understand this. He needs Peter to understand what it means to be the head. Jesus will say, you're the rock, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Jesus needs Peter to understand what it means to be at the top. Because that's a role he's going to occupy. And if he can't get this, he can't be at the top. So verse 8 said, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, unless I wash you, you can have no part in me. Peter, you need to understand this. Of all the things you need to get about what being the head means, you need to get this. Because if you can't, you're out. You can have no part in me. Verse 9. Oh, oh shoot, this is all, yeah, all going to be messed up now. You can't go backwards on this program very well. Verse 9. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied. Somewhere in there, I think. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus, you cannot wash my feet. Listen, Peter, if you don't get this, you're out. Okay, then don't just wash my feet. Wash me. Wash everything I am. Everything I'm all in, Jesus. If this is what you need to do for me, then I'm all in. I'm all yours. Everything I have, everything I am, all of it, it's yours. If this is what you need for me, take everything. Don't just take my feet. Take all of me. As Jesus lowered himself to a place that was uncomfortable for Peter... His first instinct was like, nope, don't like this one bit. But Jesus showed him 
For Jesus to be who Jesus needed to be and for Peter to be who Peter was going to need to be, Peter needed to let Jesus do this. He needed to understand what it meant to be the head. So what does it mean for a husband to love their, life, their wife like Jesus loved the church? To serve, not to be served. To be the head of the house by becoming the least. To be the first by becoming the last. To give up everything, even one's life, for someone else. And not only for them, but that they would receive all the benefit from it. And what does it mean for the wife to be submitted to her husband? The way that the church is submitted to Christ? It means like Peter. When our husband gives himself up for us, we need to allow them to live out the role that God has given them. That we serve our husbands as they serve us. That we say, if this is what you need to do, then I'm all in. I'm all yours. Everything I have, everything I am, it's yours. I will submit myself to your giving up yourself for me. I will place you as you place me below me, or place you below me, I will place myself below you. And that same heart, that same willingness, is what it means for us to be the bride of Christ. That as Jesus has given up everything for us, that as Jesus loved us with a love that's unmeasurable, even up to giving his life for us on the cross, and it only being for our benefit that we would be presented as holy and blameless without spot or stain, only because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did, that our only response, our submission to him in our lives, would look and sound just like Peter's. Jesus, if this is what you need to do, I am all in. I am yours. Everything I have, everything I am, it's yours. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that we have, or thank you that, that we have in your word this place where you've given us this metaphor for how you love us. That you gave us the gift of marriage to represent your relationship to us. Now God, we as, we as people have, have confessed that we have done so much damage to the institution of marriage that, that it, it can be hard at times for us to understand a metaphor like this because we've been so unfaithful to treat this thing the way you intended it to be created. Or it, intended it to be when you created it. But God, I thank you that we can still have the purity and the understanding of what it means for us to be the bride of Christ as we look at how you intended for marriage to work. Jesus, I thank you that your love for us is a love that isn't somehow marked by, by rulership or, dom, denom, or domination or, or just somehow over, overruling oppressive regimes. But God, I thank you that you came to, to serve and that you modeled for us service. 
that inside your kingdom, it's not somehow that, that the rulers are set above everyone else. But, but for us to understand what it is to be the head is for us to understand that you became the servant. And God, I thank you that your love for us extended so far just beyond simple service, but all the way to death on a cross. And God, I thank you that as, as your bride, that that death was, was for me. That you didn't die for yourself, but you died for me. You died for my life. You died for this church. You died for these people. That we would be able to be presented holy and blameless, complete, without wrinkle or stain. And God, I pray for us as your bride. That as you look to serve us, as you look to give yourself up for us, that we would receive all of the benefit from that. God, may our heart not be, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Lord, I would never allow that to be part of my story. God, I know you want this from me, but it's too much, it's too far, I don't like it, it's uncomfortable. But God, I pray that for us to be able to be the bride of Christ, would our response only to you be, Lord, don't just wash my feet, take all of me. God, everything I am, it's yours. Whatever you need from me, whatever you want from me, whatever you require from me, Lord, it's yours. God, we thank you for the love that you love us with. And God, help us to love you in return the way you've called us to. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. To the one holding the needle, to the one holding the knife, to the one who feels Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. Hillsideairdrie.ca is our website. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hillside Airdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdrie.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go. To the one holding the bag To the one lost in the vapors Of working hard to please fake friends To the one who seeks acceptance From the fickleness of man There is room at the cross for you There is room at the altar There is room at the pew there is room at the table, a place for me and for you. It's not about being someone else, there's healing and being true. There is room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one Though millions have come There's still room for one Though millions have come 
Oh, you. 